Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So what kind of snacks you guys got going on? (laughs) Funny you should ask. Came rolling through with some Cool Ranch Doritos. I love Cool Ranch Doritos the most. They're my favorite kind. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do something a little bit different. It is the Nerdette Book Club. This is my literal dream come true. Think of it as like a normal book club you might do with some of your friends, except you're bringing your own booze and you only have to talk if you really want to. It features three excellent nerds. I guess that is myself included in that count. I am here with Jill Hopkins. She's the host of The Morning Amp on WBEZ's sister station, Vocalo. Hey, Jill. Hey, Greta. And also joining us from afar, who also brought her own snacks, is Heather Haverleski. She writes the Ask Polly advice column for New York Magazine. Hi, Heather. Hi, nerd here calling from Los Angeles. (laughs) Okay, so here's what's happening. We're going to discuss The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. It's the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. We're going to read it in three chunks. You can find your reading assignments on our Instagram page, or you can go to wbez.org slash nerdette. But just so you know, next Friday, we're going to be discussing up to page 133 of The Testaments. We also want to hear from you as we're doing this. So follow along with us on Twitter. You can use the hashtag nerdettebookclub. And we'd also love to hear like what you're thinking about it as you're reading. You can do that by recording your voice on your phone and emailing us at nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so The Testaments, as we mentioned, is a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which is a book that came out in 1985. It is entirely possible that you haven't read it since 1985, or maybe the last time you took a look at it was in high school. Either way, we are here for you to provide kind of like a Cliff's Notes version of Handmaid's Tale so that you can dive right into the Testaments. Now that we got all that business out of the way, Jill, what is your like history with Handmaid's Tale, if you will? Oh, I I had been under the impression this entire time that I read this for high school, uh-huh. uh, but I just read it while I was in high school Instead of a book that I was supposed to read for a class because it was super boring, I was supposed to read, and I did. Yeah, what was it? Was it like uh, The Awakening or Wuthering Heights or something? We had to read Of Human Bondage, and I've never been so disappointed with a book that might be about bondage. (laughs) It was so boring. It was so boring. The movie was also boring. And uh, I just picked this up because uh, some, I think some other class was, was reading, like an AP class. You or thought something. you'd be the cool kid and read the yeah, book. I was like, oh, you know, I'm a young budding feminist. Let's see what this is about. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Not fun bondage. No. There was more bondage in this book than in the other yes. book. <laughs> Sad, oppressive bonding. No, not the fun kind. I did not read Handmaid's Tale in high school. So this was your first time reading it, right? Yeah, I've actively avoided it, I think. (laughs) Um. Why did you avoid it all this time? I thought that, you know, the first I knew of it, 
They filmed the uh, the movie, the original movie. Oh, wow. Based Which on was the book. in what, like? In like, I think they filmed it in around 80, 88, 89, and it came out in 90. Okay. Um, But they filmed it on the Duke campus, and I was going to Duke at the time. Oh, no. So So I just saw them out there. Yes. (laughs) I'd see these women in these hats, in these outfits. I can't remember if they had the hats, actually. But, and then I asked my mom about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's that, you know. And I was a women's studies major (laughs) at the time. So it was sort of like too much. Don't even want to know. You know, like so intense. I just th- I thought the story was about women being tortured, essentially. And so I was always sort of like, no, 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 I can't do it. So I I mean, I read it in like high school. I reread it before the Hulu series came out a couple of years ago. But it was also right after I had gotten my tonsils out and I was on a lot of codeine. <laughs> and oh, I was God. also watching 13 Reasons Why at the oh, same God, time. Oh, God, Greta, why did you do and that? And it was yourself? just like a very dark time in my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, what do y'all think of doing a quick Handmaid's Tale synopsis? How do y'all feel about that? I feel good about it. So this book, it was written in 1985 by Margaret Atwood. Mm -hmm. It was set to take place in sort of the near future from then, which people are calculating to be sort of like the early aughts, like 2005-ish. And essentially what happened in this world was that climate change got real weird Mm -hmm. and women became super infertile. And so they they created this super intense, ultra-religious society in what was modern-day America to force these women in different castes based on their reproductive abilities, more or less, right? Yeah. So, And our main character is this woman named Offred, who we never know her real name. We just know her as essentially of Fred. And Handmaid's Tale is a story of her life, like— having sex with this dude who she kind of doesn't like once a month to try to create babies for this new society. Yeah. And that's something that kind of struck me is I know how, you know, I have those period tracking apps on my phone Uh and it's probably giving my information to the government in some way. Sure. But I can tell you that if you're trying to get pregnant, having sex once a month ain't the way to do it. Like you got to get in there. Yeah. And it's usually best not to have um, a third person there <laughs> looking on silently and flinching the whole time. Oh, oh it's and such holding an your intense wrist. book. Yes. It's such an intense book. So, like, I don't really want to get into main plot points because I think that's generally more or less what you need to know. I mean, we have, like, different casts of women. The main one, obviously, is the handmaid, who's the one who's supposed to reproduce. We also have the wives, who are, like, the legitimately married people to these dudes who are called the commanders. And beyond that, there are, like, Marthas, who are sort of, like, the maids in the households. Mm -hmm. And then we have the aunts, who are kind of the most terrifying, because they're the ones who are, like, brainwashing the other ladies into, like, obeying this system. And they're, like, very intense slut-shamers and seem kind of like they... I don't know. I mean, obviously, the dudes are really terrible. But in terms of the ladies, they're definitely the worst of the ladies, right? Yeah. I went to Catholic school. Oh, me too. School. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the, the the aunts are sort of, in particular, very, very upsetting to me. And they seem to me to be the evilest characters. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They should have at least some empathy. Right. They're, like, complicit in this horrible system that's not helping them either, right? Yeah. And, like, how... How do they decide who the aunts are? Have, are they former 
I don't know. Women? I feel like they, they signed up because they're horrible people, Maybe. right? So, and then the last scene of Handmaid's Tale is, or at least of the story of the Handmaid, is she's getting into a van. And we don't know whether it's a van of, like, undercover spies who are going to take her to some horrible place and, like, torture her or God knows what. Or if she's, like, on her way to freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we might be able to guess that she's on her way to freedom because there's an epilogue in the book, which is from this, like, symposium that takes place 200 years later. Yeah. And they have found her tapes. It comes out that essentially the whole story of The Handmaid's Tale is her telling this story into a tape recorder. And and so at that point, that, that means that, like, we know that this system was somehow overthrown over the course of 200 years, right? Yeah, and it seems, like, quaint to yes, them in the future. it does seem quaint yeah. to them, which is an extra disturbing layer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so brutal. And then they're just, like, almost laughing about how... How, what a strange little time it was, kind of. Yeah. There was a specific line that really struck me because I think it's it's so much about what this book is about, but also just dystopias in general, which is it's something an aunt says to them at some point that it's not about freedom to, it's about freedom from. And that's really what this whole society is about, right? Like you don't get to walk down the street and wear whatever you want anymore or talk to whoever you want, but you're more or less safe. Like you also don't have to, you don't get catcalled. You don't have to like worry about if you get attacked in an elevator, what you're going to do, which I just think is such a fascinating and terrifying and complicated concept, you know? And that concept says to me a lot about the men in this universe and how it just seemed easier to them to subjugate uh-huh. an entire half uh-huh. of the population than to just keep their hands to themselves. Yeah, they can't help it. Yeah. How yeah. De- how just animalistic. Uh-huh. We must not think very highly of them. Well, their, their rights, right, are the only rights that exist. And so, of course, you know, it's like they obviously they have a right to be violent and a right to use you in any way possible. But in order to keep you, you know, in order to keep the last remaining precious, fertile women so-called, you know, safe um, and to, to save essentially all they're doing is protecting this resource. Right. Right. right the vessels. It's like we have to keep these vessels far from. Um, because we can't control men. I mean, men are just naturally. I mean, uh-huh. you see echoes of this today, right? It's like oh, for sure, of course, of everything. Sadly, in the book, um, yeah. men still have essentially all of these underground ways of getting their needs met, but women are just not perceived to be um, even. Uh, I mean, they just don't. They're not understood as humans. Right. Essentially, She's so. like tucking away tiny pieces of butter that she can use to moisturize her face because they're not right. allowed to have lotion. <laughs> Because it might make them seem vain. It's the worst sunscreen you can have. Oh, God. <laughs> just out there smelling like a seafood buffet. Oh, it's like <laughs> sizzling in the sun. <laughs> so, it's so funny because when I picture dystopia, I often think of chapped lips. I'm mean, always like, I'm going to be screwed. <laughs> it is funny because be chapstick bad. is one of the, it's like you got to have it in the purse, you got to have it in the car, you got to have it at your bedside table, you got to have it in your kitchen drawers. Like you just can't have too much of it around no. just in case. And isn't it, isn't it kind of, I think we're stumbling here on something that Atwood did on purpose, right? It's these little things, these yeah. little comforts that you take for granted as just somebody out here in the world who can make trips to the CVS whenever they want to, who don't have to have a token to buy a very specific thing when they go to the store. That You can't even just have the comfort of you know, non-dry skin in this, this world. They're willing to take 
every comfort away from you to keep you in line that's, you know, you get chapstick in prison, but you don't get chapstick (laughs) in Gilead. I think, too, something that she did really well that makes it very alarming is, you know, I mean, this isn't. I would imagine for the three of us, for lots of people, this isn't the first book you've read about it, like an oppressive regime and and women's roles being like severely compromised. But the fact that it takes place in what is otherwise modern day America, you know, like the the juxtaposition of like her remembering what running shoes look like and mm-hmm. the neon shoelaces, like those moments to me are some of the most striking because then it's like, oh, this isn't like a random faraway place. This is right here. Yeah. In my and the weird thing about the the uh, the television show, the Hulu show, is that in my mind when I was reading *A Handmaid's Tale* years and years ago, the town that they were in—I've never been to the Harvard campus or uh-huh. anything like that—but the town that they were in kind of reminded me in my head of *Stars Hollow* from the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh God, like this really just you know <laughs> cute little brick building world that once upon a time was like this simple bucolic center of New England. <laughs> oh and then they cast Alexis Bledel in the, oh, the yeah. show. So then there's Rory showing up, <laughs> tying it all Your together Your vision came me. to pass. It did oh come. Gosh. I should be a casting agent. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But the fact that, you know, that it's it's taking, all of this is taking place in, a, in, a, in one of the oldest, most architecturally significant, culturally rich parts of the country where, you know, thought leaders have called home and now thought suppressors are using it as their center base. Yeah. It's weird. It it's weird. it's almost like a way of inciting um, a kind of vertigo, um, emotional vertigo in the reader. It's really interesting how you forget, like you said, you forget what what time and place right. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like um, it's, you know, Puritan America or something. And then all uh-huh, of a sudden... Yeah. There's some reference to something, and you're like, "Oh God, wait, you had that? Yeah, exactly. You know what nail polish smells like? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's really jarring. It's an interesting. It's interesting how those juxtapositions actually throw you off and make you remember. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it basically recreates the feeling of having these things stripped from you. Yeah. Um, which I think is the main thing about the book that I loved and enjoyed was the feeling. You know, the way that she puts you in this totally isolated situation where there's no intimacy, no connection, no information, right? And the lack of information is the torture. It's not, she doesn't need to be physically tortured. It's the lack of connection and intimacy and the lack of information that ke- that it, she's living in the dark. I've been trying to figure out why it's such a great book, even though it's about deeply unpleasant things, you know, because mm-hmm. like in a lot of instances, like if someone described the premise of this book to me, I would probably be like, you know what? I'm good on that. You know, as yeah. you were for a very yep. long time, Heather. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep. oh, no, that sounds kind of awful. I don't really need to go there. But there's something about it that's still I mean, Atwood obviously is brilliant. It's so compelling. It's so fascinating. It's so yearning and smart that it's still somehow a good ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, it remi- it's almost like you're starving. It reminds you of the joy of just survival. There's a, there yeah. are a lot of scenes that are just like a flower, yeah. you know? Yeah. The seasons change. There was this part where she says, um, 
but a chair, sunlight, flowers. These are not to be dismissed. I am alive. I like, I breathe. I put my hand out unfolded into the sunlight. Yeah. I love that because it's just this, you, she only has these little windows for feeling like a human being. Yeah. What did that make me think of? Oh, there are a couple of other at least aspects of Handmaid's Tale that I think we should be sure to mention, which is that Alfred has a daughter who at the time of the book is what, like five or six, probably? Maybe a little older than that? Big enough to pick up and run with, but too big to run quickly with. Yeah. And so, and so yes, the daughter was taken away from her when she was assigned to this family. So she, does, she, she finds out from a woman that her daughter is safe and has been like reassigned to a different household. But that's all that she really knows. Um, and I just mentioned that because I do have a feeling that that is something that could come up in this new book. Okay, so now that we've gone over what you need to know about Handmaid's Tale, we'll take a little break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about the TV show for a second and then about the Testaments. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you both watch the TV show in preparation for this book club uh, series as well? All of it. I think I got four episodes into the first season. Okay, that's about how far I got. But Heather, you like powered through, right? Yeah, I was I was very paranoid. I got your message and I was like, uh-oh, she wants us to do all the things. And so I was like, I got to power through the whole... <laughs> I got power through the whole show. Three, three. Nerd, Haverleski. Oh my God, such a nerd. But I got to, I stopped because I was like, fuck, I'm done with, I'm sick of this shit. I don't want to. But I got to episode eight. Once I realized that they were just like smushing things around and messing with the timeline and combining characters and things, I was like, eh, this is hurting my brain. I can't deal with these two. It's really hard to keep track of what's the TV show and what's the book when you're reading them at the same time. You know, it's like a little bit stupid to do. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think like it was really interesting. I watched, I think, the first three episodes of the show Mm -hmm. and it was just too upsetting, which is weird because it was like, I mean, the book is upsetting, but I don't know. There's something about actually watching it on the screen that was like, I can't actually do this to myself. You know, that's how I felt the first time I tried to watch it two years ago or whenever it came out. Yeah. Because of the kid. We got to that part with the um, <sighs> the kid being snatched, and I was yeah. like, I have a kid, and I can't watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not possible. Um, but this time, because I knew the book, um, it was a little bit easier. And actually, the it was interesting to see what a good job they did, actually, with the mood of the book. I felt like they captured the mood of the book really well. And, it, and, it, and the, the TV show seemed to kind of fall apart when they moved away from that central focus. Right, because um, season one is based on the the book, on Handmaid's Tale, and then they just kept going beyond that. They kept going, yeah. Uh, and so it kind of becomes like a walking dead, <laughs> almost. <laughs> like, it, you know, it starts to feel more like, what's the wider world like? Like, you see okay. more behind-the-scenes things, which makes me worry, honestly, for the next book, too, because 
But one of the treasures of this book, The Handmaid's Tale, is just how claustrophobic and small the story is right. in some ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we should lay out. So no one has started the Testaments yet, right? Heather, I know you were very specific about asking if you could start. Did you abstain? A good student did not did not read, well not supposed to read. Done. In fact, today I was walking with my husband and he said, well, I mean, the book is about, and he started to, because uh-uh. uh-uh. he, he had read the back cover of the book and I was like, what are you doing? I'm not supposed to know anything. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. So, so yeah. obedient. I, mean, I make a great handmaid. <laughs> So, yeah, I do think we should talk just a little bit about what we know, at least what we knew before the book came out, which is not that much. But what we did know is that it takes place 15 years after the original action of Handmaid's Tale, which puts us more or less at like right now times, which is pretty interesting, I think. I mean, obviously in an alternate reality but still mm-hmm. kind of fascinating an alternate reality I'm <laughs> yeah alternate. okay yeah quote unquote alternate. Different. yeah <laughs> um and it's from three points of view and i mean that's more or less all i know did y'all look into anything beyond that i was checking out the the wikipedia page for the original book and uh-huh. there was just like a little paragraph uh, under the heading sequel. Uh-huh. And uh, it says that it, we're going to get to know more about Aunt Lydia. Uh-huh. And that Alfred might have two daughters. What? Huh? That's what wow. the Wikipedia says. That stresses out my spoiler antenna, but <laughs> we'll let it go. Um, oh, my God. I, not only did you read that paragraph, Jill, but you just told stuff to... Now I'm more angry at you than I was at my husband. <laughs> You're a, ba- a bad student. Bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I just bad read it handmade. this afternoon. I didn't do it on purpose. It was in the larger scope of the Wikipedia. Oh, and who knows? It's Wikipedia. Maybe away. it's a lie. It might be a lie. Somebody just did Hopefully. that to mess with us. Yeah, I bet that's what it is. Okay. So um, other things we know is that this book somehow may is has been shortlisted for the Booker Prize, even though it was like internationally embargoed until... Uh, technically two weeks ago when Amazon violated that embargo and sent out a bunch of pre-orders. Did you guys hear about this? No. Yeah, it was a big issue, especially for indie booksellers, you know, because, I mean, it was literally an international embargo. Like, no one was able to see this book until, you know, I mean, it came out on Tuesday. Some people got it maybe a couple days before that. But this was like, the lid was tight on this book. But yeah, Amazon managed to, like, send out a bunch of pre-orders ahead of time. And it, like... Did not make. I mean, it made some nerds very happy, but the booksellers were not happy about that one at all. It's interesting to me that they could get away with that. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be punished in some way. Right. Well, (laughs) and they said that it was a mistake. But I mean, beyond that, how do you how do you punish Amazon, though? (laughs) You know, like, what do you do? Let's all ask ourselves that question. (laughs) It's kind of amazing because Amazon started as an online bookseller. You'd think that they'd have this this process down by now. Well, and that was actually one of the big responses was so they sent out an apology to all their fellow booksellers. And a lot of indie bookstores were like, excuse me. You are not a bookseller anymore. Please do not <laughs> yeah. put yourself in the same category as what we're trying to do down here. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of interesting and intense. It's been, I mean, it's a pretty buzzy book so far. I am super curious to start it. I wonder, I have like a dream that I want this book to be, but I wonder if either of you have like hopes about what's going to happen in this book. Are there things you want to see, things you are excited to see happen, things you're hoping for, things you don't want to see happen? I mean, I, I'd love 
a definitive answer as to like what Nick's whole deal was. Nick, the driver who Offred ends up sleeping with. Yeah. Yeah. I hope to find out more about him, too. I hope to find out that he's heroic and wonderful and pure hearted Uh in spite of (laughs) how stupid that is. Yeah, those are some Um, high expectations. (laughs) Yeah. And I would I think it would be cool if Luke, her husband, were um, like from real life, from before things got weird. Yeah. 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 Luke, who cheated on his um First wife with Alfred. I would like to discover that he is slightly rotten oh, at some level. Wow. Because I feel like it would be interesting to take someone who you experience as being um, suspect, like Nick, right? And you take that and you understand that it's circumstantial. And then you also shine a light of, you know, suspicion on, I don't know, traditional marriage. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Because, you know, she thinks she has this pure relationship with this man who that, you know, she started an affair with him when he was married. Like, what's his true character? Like, it didn't he there were a couple of things that made me think that he like it wasn't as great with him as she was making it out to be now. You know, like the fact that she what she would like meet up with him in hotels for years before they actually got married because he was cheating on his wife. And like Maura didn't trust him yeah yeah her best friend was like that guy seriously so he seems like a potential skis for sure yeah yeah i don't don't buy what he's selling Uh uh-uh no so you know what i really want to see in the testaments i want an uprising (laughs) i didn't even think about that as a possibility that's how ingrained this universe is i want to watch them burn it all down because we know eventually this ends right so wouldn't that be just so satisfying to watch it all go down? For yes. Alfred to finally, like, find her non-complacent side? Yeah, exactly. Like, for this rebellion to really take a stand and shake it up, I just think that would be great. Have you noticed how the cover of the book has a woman, another, a shadow image in it? Yeah, in the collar. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. did not. But there's a woman I with just, a ponytail on the back, which I feel like has got to be. I think a it's good the thing. same lady. Yeah, it's the same oh, lady. Oh, weird. It's like the shirt, right? I, or the collar? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I did not notice that. I just saw it today. I I just noticed it today after looking at it a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> after staring at it because you weren't allowed to read it. Yeah. No, don't open Heather. Bad. Bad Heather. Oh, that's delightful. Um, but I wonder if there's an uprising. I, I mean, I wonder if Offred's going to be in it at all. I don't know. Yeah, I also that wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's her daughters or like I really have no yeah. idea. I mean, I would have said daughter, but Jill ruined it by Sorry. saying plural children. It was Vanity Fair, actually. <laughs> I clicked on the, the little number. It's Vanity Fair. They did it's this. Vanity Fair. They did this. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I do. I wonder... If, I mean, now that we, we kind of know there's two, are they on the same side? Is one part Ooh. of the resistance? Ooh. Is one willing to go along with things? Were they raised together? Yes. Are they, yes. do they know that the other one exists? There's so Ooh. much we could These we are could such a great question. And this whole thing with Aunt Lydia, I'm so curious as to like, something just as simple as like, what is their living situation like? Do they all have to live together Ooh. in like a convent of some That's sort? That's a great question. Are they, how do they, how do they sleep at night? Yeah, I do have a lot of questions of the aunts, so I look forward to learning more about that too. So no, with here's that, a question, are we oh, going to yeah. call them aunts or ants? That is a good oh, question. I think regionally the, we really have to think about 
<laughs> yeah, where do you really? fall on that one, Heather? <laughs> I actually say aunt usually, but when you say aunt, I'm like, I need to say aunt. She's oh, saying aunt. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, like growing up in Alaska, I feel like all those regional dialect rules are just like, I like, I have no idea why I say anything the way I do. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, I do want to say one other thing that I really love about Handmaid's Tale, which is the saying Nolite te bastardes carborundorum, which means don't let the bastards get you down. And it always reminds me very much of something Ron Weasley said to Harry Potter, which is don't let the muggles get you down. Oh. And so I think we should just maybe let that be our our note on which to end today. Oh, I thought you were going to say we should all get matching tattoos. I mean, if you also want to get a Deathly Hallows tattoo, Jill, I already got one. So we're you good on that. Do you have a Deathly Hallows tattoo? <laughs> I sure do. Yep. Oh I don't know God. why that's surprising to anybody <laughs> who listens it's, to the show at all. <laughs> it's not on my forehead. That is what I'll say. In my <laughs> no, defense. Where is it? Where is it? Now, now we have so many mysteries to unfold. I can't <laughs> yep, even yep. handle it. Well, good thing this is only the beginning of a great many conversations between the three of us. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we're going to see y'all next week. The plan is to read up to page 133. That is through chapter 23. And again, especially once you're done, but even as you're reading, like send us your thoughts and questions and feelings and predictions and grievances and hopes and whatever's. There's a voice memos or voice recording app on your phone. You can just record yourself saying your stuff and then you can email it to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear them. We record every Wednesday. So if you send them to us before next Wednesday, September 18th, your odds will be great. And of course, also please chime in on Twitter with hashtag NerdatBookClub. Jill and Heather will maybe be chiming in there as well. The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull. You can sign up for our newsletter at wbez.org slash nerdataf. That's all I got to say. Thanks, you two. See you next week. Yay, I can't wait. Jill, don't read ahead. I promise I won't. Who has the time to read ahead? (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.